0: Section 56 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 2, by James Boswell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. To Dr. Samuel Johnson, Edinburgh, December 5th, 1775. My dear sir, Mr. Alexander MacLean, the young laird of Cole, being to set out tomorrow for London, I give him this letter to introduce him to your acquaintance the kindness which you and i experienced from his brother whose unfortunate death we sincerely lament will make us always desirous to show attention to any branch of the family indeed you have so much of the true highland cordiality that i am sure you would have thought me to blame if i had neglected to recommend to you this hebridean prince in whose island we were hospitably entertained I am ever with respectful attachment, my dear Sir, your most obliged and most humble servant, James Boswell. Mr. Maclean returned with the most agreeable accounts of the polite attention with which he was received by Dr. Johnson. In the course of this year, Dr. Burney informs me that he very frequently met Dr. Johnson at Mr. Thrale's at Streatham where they had many long conversations, often sitting up as long as the fire and candles lasted, and much longer than the patience of the servants subsisted. Footnote. Four years later, Johnson thus spoke to Miss Burney of her father. I love Burney. My heart goes out to meet him. He is not ungrateful, sir, cried I, for most heartily does he love you, does he, madam? I am surprised at that. Why, sir? Why should you have doubted it? Because, madam, Dr. Burney is a man for all the world to love. It is but natural to love him. I could have almost cried with delight at this cordial, unlaboured eloge Madame diary and footnote. A few of Johnson's sayings, which that gentleman recollects, shall here be inserted. I never take a nap after dinner, but when I've had a bad night, and then the nap takes me. The writer of an epitaph should not be considered as saying nothing but what is strictly true. Allowance must be made for some degree of exaggerated praise. In lapidary inscriptions, a man is not upon oath. Footnote. Though a sepulchral inscription is professedly a panegyric and therefore not confined to historical impartiality, yet it ought always to be written with regard to truth. No man ought to be commended for virtues which he never possessed. But whoever is curious to know his faults, must inquire after them in other places. Johnson's works, volume 5, page 265, and a footnote. There is now less flogging in our great schools than formerly, but then less is learned there, so that what the boys get at one end, they lose at the other. More is learned in public than in private schools from emulation, there is a collision of mind with mind, or the radiation of many minds pointing to one centre. Though few boys make their own exercises, yet, if a good exercise is given up, out of a great number of boys, it is made by somebody. I hate byroads in education. Education is as well known, and has long been as well known, as ever it can be. Note. Johnson's Dick Wormwood in The Idler number 83, a man whose sole delight is to find everything wrong, triumphs when he talks on the present system of education and tells us with great vehemence that we are learning words when we should learn things. In The Life of Milton, works, volume 7, page 75, Johnson writes, it is told that, in the art of education, Milton performed wonders. And a formidable list is given of the authors, Greek and Latin, that were read in Aldersgate Street by youth between 10 and 15 or 16 years of age. Those who tell or receive these stories should consider that nobody can be taught faster than he can learn. The speed of the horseman must be limited by the power of the horse. He advised Boswell not to refine in the education of his children. You must do as other people do. Yet, in his Life of Barretio, works, volume 6, page 380, he says, The first languages which he learnt were the French, German and Latin, which he was taught not in the common way, by a multitude of definitions, rules and exceptions, which fatigue the attention and burden the memory without any use, proportionate to the time which they require, and the disgust which they create, the method by which he was instructed was easy and expeditious, and therefore pleasing. He learnt them all, in the same manner, and almost at the same time, by conversing in them indifferently with his father. End of footnote. Endeavouring to make children prematurely wise is useless labour. Suppose they have more knowledge at five or six years old than other children. What use can be made of it? It will be lost before it is wanted, and the waste of so much time and labour of the teacher can never be repaid. Too much is expected from precocity, and too little performed. Miss Blank footnote, Miss Aiken, better known as Mrs. Barbold. Johnson uses Presbyterian where we should use Unitarian. The Unitarians of the present day, in square brackets, 1843, are the representatives of that branch of the early Nonconformists who received the denomination of Presbyterians, and they are still known by that name. Penny end a footnote miss blank was an instance of early cultivation but in what did it terminate in marrying a little presbyterian parson who keeps an infant boarding school so that all her employment now is to suckle fools and chronicle small beer footnote othello Act, one end of footnote she tells the children this is a cat and that is a dog, with four legs and a tail. See them? You are much better than a cat or a dog, for you can speak. Footnote, he quotes Barbold's Lessons for Children. Mrs Piozzi Anecdotes, Speaking of Books for Children, says, Mrs Barbold had his best praise. No man was more struck than Mr Johnson with Voluntary descent from possible splendour to painful duty. Mrs. Piozzi alludes to Johnson's praise of Dr. Watts. Every man acquainted with the common principles of human action will look with veneration on the writer, who is at one time combating Locke, and at another making a catechism for children in their fourth year. A voluntary descent from the dignity of science is perhaps the hardest lesson that humility can teach. Works volume eight, page three eighty four. He praised Milton also, who, when writing Paradise Lost, could condescend from his elevation to rescue children from the perplexity of grammatical confusion, and the trouble of lessons unnecessarily repeated. Ibid Volume seven, page ninety nine. Mrs. Barbold did what Swift said Gay had shown could be done. One may write things to a child without being childish, Swift's works. In her advertisement, she says, The task is humble, but not mean. To plant the first idea in a human mind can be no dishonour to any hand. Ethics or morality, wrote Johnson, is one of the studies which ought to begin with the first glimpse of reason, and only end with life itself. Works, volume 5, page Three. This might have been the motto of her book. As the advertisement was not published till 1778, it is possible that Johnson's criticism had reached her, and that it was meant as an answer. Among her pupils were William Taylor of Norwich, Sir William Gell, and the first Lord Denman. Mrs Barbold bore Johnson no ill will. In her 1811 she describes some future pilgrims from the Blue Mountains or Ontario's Lake, coming to view London's faded glories with throbbing bosoms shall the wanderers tread the hallowed mansions of the silent dead shall enter the long aisle and vaulted dome where genius and where valour find a home bend at each antique shrine and frequent turn to clasp with fond delight some sculptured urn the ponderous mass of johnsons form to greet or breathe the prayer at howard's sainted feet if I had bestowed such an education on a daughter, and had discovered that she thought of marrying such a fellow, I would have sent her to the Congress. After having talked slightingly of music, he was observed to listen very attentively while Miss Thrale played on the harpsichord, and with the eagerness he called to her, Why don't you dash away, like Burney. Dr. Burney, upon this, said to him, I believe, sir, we shall make a musician of you at last. Johnson, with candid complacency, replied, Sir, I shall be glad to have a new sense given to me. Footnote. According to Madame D'Arblay, he said, Sir, I shall be very glad have a new sense put into me. He had been wont to speak slightingly of music and musicians. The first symptom that he showed of a tendency to conversion was upon hearing the following read aloud from the preface to Dr. Burney's History of Music, while it was yet in manuscript. The love of lengthened tones and modulated sounds seems a passion implanted in human nature throughout the globe as we hear of no people however wild and savage in other particulars who have not music of some kind or other with which they seem greatly delighted sir cried dr johnson after a little pause this assertion i believe may be right and then see sawing a minute or two in his chair he forcibly added, All animated nature loves music, except myself. Dr. Burney's memoirs. Hawkins, Life, page 319, says that Johnson said of music, It excites in my mind no ideas and hinders me from contemplating my own. I have sometimes thought that music, was positive pain to him. Upon his hearing a celebrated performer go through a hard composition, and hearing it remarked that it was very difficult, he said, I would, it had been impossible. Yet he had once bought a flageolet, though he had never made out a tune. Had I learnt to fiddle, he said, I should have done nothing else. Post April seventh, seventeen seventy-eight, and Boswell's Hebrides, October the fifteenth, seventeen seventy-three. Not six months before his death he asked Dr. Burney to teach him the scale of music. That he appeared fond of the bagpipe, and used often to stand for some time with his ear close to the great drone, Boswell's Hebrides, October the fifteenth, does not tell for much either way. In his Hebrides he shows his pleasure in singing. After supper he writes, the ladies sung earth's songs to which I listened as an English audience to an Italian opera delighted with the sound of words which I did not understand. Boswell records Hebrides September the 28th that another day a lady pleased him much by singing earth's songs and playing on the guitar. Johnson himself shows that if his ear was dull to music, it was by no means dead to sound. He thus describes a journey by night in the highlands. The wind was loud, the rain was heavy, and the whistling of the blast, the fall of the shower, the rush of the cataracts, and the roar of the torrent, made a nobler chorus of the rough music of nature than it had ever been my chance to hear before. In 1783, when he was in his 74th year, he said, on hearing the music of a funeral procession, This is the first time that I have ever been affected by musical sounds. End of footnote. He had come down one morning to the breakfast room and been a considerable time by himself before anybody appeared. When, on a subsequent day, he was twitted by Mrs. Thrale for being very late, which he generally was, he defended himself by alluding to the extraordinary morning when he had been too early. Madam, I do not like to come down to vacuity. Dr. Burney, having remarked that mr garrick was beginning to look old he said why sir you are not to wonder at that no man's face has had more wear and tear footnote malone fathers this witticism on foot prize malone miss burney in seventeen seventy eight records that he said david madam looks much older than he is for his face has had double the business of any other man's it is never at rest when he speaks one minute he has quite a different countenance to what he assumes the next i don't believe he ever kept the same look for half an hour together in the whole course of his life and such an eternal restless fatiguing play of the muscles must certainly wear out a man's face before it's real time madame d'arblay's diary and a footnote not having heard from him for a longer time than i supposed he would be silent i wrote to him on december the eighteenth not in good spirits sometimes i have been afraid that the cold which has gone over europe this year like a sort of pestilence has seized you severely that, on november the second of this year a proposal was made to garrick by the proprietors of covent garden theatre that now in the time of dearth and sickness they should open their theatres only five nights in each week sent a footnote. sometimes my imagination which is upon occasions prolific of evil hath figured that you may have somehow taken offence at some part of my conduct to james boswell esq dear sir never dream of any offence how should you offend me i consider your friendship as a possession which i intend to hold till you take it from me and to lament if ever by my fault i should lose it however when such suspicions find their way into your mind always give them vent i shall make haste to disperse them but hinder their first ingress if you can consider such thoughts as morbid. Such illness as makes excuse my omission to Lord Hales I cannot honestly plead. I have been hindered, I know not how, by a succession of petty obstructions. I hope to mend immediately and to send next post to his lordship. Mr. Thrale would have written to you if I had omitted. He sends his compliments and wishes to see you. You and your lady will now have no more wrangling about feudal inheritance Footnote. Mrs. Boswell, no doubt had disliked his wish to pass over his daughters in entailing the Affleck estate in favour of heirs male, however remote. Johnson, on February ninth, seventeen seventy six opposing this intention, wrote, "I hope I shall get some ground now with Mrs. Boswell." End footnote. how does the young laird of affleck i suppose miss veronica is grown a reader and discourser i have just now got a cough but it has never yet hindered me from sleeping i have had quieter nights than are common with me i cannot but rejoice that joseph has had the wit to find the way back footnote. Joseph Ritter, a Bohemian, who was in my service many years and attended Dr. Johnson and me in our tour to the Hebrides. After having left me for some time, he had now returned to me Boswell footnote. He is a fine fellow, and one of the best travellers in the world. Young Cole brought me your letter. He is a very pleasing youth. I took him two days ago to the mitre, and we dined together. I was as civil as I had the means of being. I have had a letter from Rasse acknowledging, with great appearance of satisfaction, the insertion in the Edinburgh paper. Footnote. See Boswell's Hebrides near the end. end of footnote. I am very glad that it was done. My compliments to Mrs Boswell, who does not love me, and of all the rest, I need only send them to those that do and I'm afraid it will give you very little trouble to distribute them. I am, my dear, dear sir, your affectionate humble servant Samuel Johnson, December 23rd, 1775. 1776, I tarp 67. In 1776 Johnson wrote, so far as I can discover, nothing for the public, but that his mind was still ardent and fraught with generous wishes to attain to still higher degrees of literary excellence is proved by his private notes of this year which i shall insert in their proper place to james boswell esq dear sir i have at last sent you all lord Hales's papers while i was in france i looked very often into a but lord Hales, in my opinion leaves him far and far behind why I did not dispatch so short a perusal sooner, when I look back, I am utterly unable to discover. But human moments are stolen away by a thousand petty impediments which leave no trace behind them. I have been afflicted through the whole Christmas with the general disorder, of which the worst effect was a cough which is now much mitigated. Though the country on which I look from a window at Streatham is now covered with a deep snow mrs williams is very ill everybody else is as usual among the papers i found a letter to you which i think you had not opened and a paper for the chronicle which i suppose it not necessary now to insert i return them both i have within these few days had the honor of receiving lord hales's first volume for which I return my most respectful thanks. I wish you, my dearest friend, and your haughty lady, for I know she does not love me, and the young ladies, and the young laird, all happiness. Teach the young gentleman, in spite of his mamma, to think and speak well of, so your affectionate humble servant Samuel Johnson. January 10th, 1776. End of section 56